We've got Michelle Gerard, Managing Director and Co-Head of Global Economics at NatWest Markets, and David Kotak, Chairman and Chief Investment Officer at Cumberland Advisors. David Kotak, it's been quite a while since we've talked. Yes, Larry. I think McKinley was president when we first met. <laughs> you could be right. I was thinking more Grover Cleveland, who happens to be one of my favorite presidents because he kept the dollar pegged to gold. <laughs> it's, uh, but Michelle is too, way too young to remember all that stuff. But. No, but David, it's so nice to speak to you. It's been a while for us, too. So great to be on with you today. All right. So, uh, Michelle. Yeah. Yes, thanks so much. It's like a reunion of many years. And yes. here we are, like Jack Benny, we're only 39 years old. <laughs> yes, there you sir. go. So, Michelle, um, you're going to be nicer because you're a much nicer person than I am, particularly when it comes to the Fed. But I'm just going to say that I was un- underwhelmed by Jay Powell. I thought he he's – they're back to his their old tricks. I mean, Steve Hankey said it earlier on the show. Steve Forbes mentioned it. You know, everyone's to blame for the inflation but the Fed, right? That's the deal. Putin, the Ukrainian war, COVID, the woman on the moon, everybody's to blame but the Fed. So I want to get your Fed take. Are you convinced now the Fed is on top of it? And I'm getting a lot of whispers, Wall Street whispers, that we've seen the worst of inflation and it's going to come back down. You buy it? Well, there's a lot of things in in that to unpack. I mean, I I would say that I was I was um, a bit un I was curious about one the decision that Paul made to take 75 basis points off the table. Right. Um, because I think in general he was trying to send a strong and if you will hawkish message that the Fed was committed to bringing inflation down, and we can talk about whether it's demand or supply-related, as you said, they seem to focus very much on supply, um, supply problems, which then opens them up to criticism because everyone says, well, then what is the Fed doing because they can't control, you know, the supply problems? And so, so there's all we can, we can get into that. But, but he was trying to send a message. He was hearkening back to Volcker, you know, we'll do what's necessary, even if it, if it means we, we risk recession. And then, but then he turns around and, and acknowledging the uncertainty, but still says, but, you know, 75 is not something we're thinking about. And I don't know why he, uh, you know, he kind of sort of needed to do that. Um, I will say with respect to inflation, the Fed is going to have a little bit of help here because on a year-over-year basis, the numbers are going to start to come down. You know, we've, we're going to see this next week, we have the CPI coming out. We've seen a little bit of relief on the energy or, you know, some relief that we saw um, in May on the energy front will come through. So, But the statistics, because we had such high numbers last year, are going to look like year over year we're moving in the right direction. So that may buy him some time. I just look worried about looking ahead. And in 2023 or later this year, if you settle out and as good as you get is maybe, you know, somewhere just under four, like what do you do then? You know, when that benefit of the year over year numbers is not working in your favor, it's not as you know, and you have to admit you're still not comfortable. You're still not as you know, low as low as you want it to be. Then what are you going to do? And so that I think is going to be the problem they face down the road. You're still going to have monthly readings, though. I mean, I know the year-over-year basing stuff, but that's kind of you know statistical chicanery. I mean, really. It, no, you're 100 percent right. Although, again, optically for the public, it 
you know, which I think kind of looks at those annual inflation rates, mm. it will take a little bit of pressure off. So it's a it's a pure optics play. I don't really see you're going to you're going to get much improvement on the underlying rate of inflation. And that's why, you know, I believe once those optics sort of washed out, the Fed is going to be left having to acknowledge that the inflation rate is not where they want it to be. Yeah. And um, David Kotak, uh, we had Steve Hankey on earlier. He's a well-known monetarist, very smart guy. Uh, he said that basically, in his view, the basic inflation rate was going to be 6% for a couple of years. And I think that if that is the case, or nearly the case, I mean, it's not 10, but it's not 2 either, which is their ultimate target, or so they say. 6% inflation is rough stuff, and that's going to force them into doing things much more aggressively and brings, I think, you know, you go from inflation to stagflation to recession. I mean, what what are the chances that you have that kind of difficult scenario? Well, we, we, we have an aggregate demand shock, Larry. We have an aggregate supply shock. That's a double whammy that comes right on the heels of a similar two-year-ago pandemic double whammy back-to-back. Back. I was just sitting listening, thinking about the fact you and I met each other before you went to work for Ronald Reagan. And we were talking then about the late 70s, the very beginning of Volcker, mm. the inflation characteristics that uh, we will admit to viewers, or at least I will, that's how long we know each other. Mm-hmm. This is not the 70s. This is not an Arthur Burns easing Fed. Mm. This is a dual whammy. A pandemic comes along once in a hundred years, and it's a shock of huge proportion. There's a great study done on that by the San Francisco Fed in a working paper in 2020 where they examined the economic shocks of pandemics, and they parallel wars. Mm. Similar, Spanish flu, World War One. So we're in the different construction than we're used to. And now we have the shooting war. So I'm not so sure we're going to get to six, eight, nine percent perpetual inflation. I think we could get some rollover. And I was flashing back in memory. I remember conversations with Michelle about housing, housing rolling over, worrying about mortgages. You know, look at where we are now. We're above 5% on a 30-year mortgage. Suddenly, the housing bubble may have a pin stuck into it. In fact, it's a conversation that could cause rollover of this inflation scare. Used car prices starting to roll over. There's possibilities it won't be as big as the warning that we get from the inflationists. What are the chances? Well, we, let's take a break. We've got to take a break. We'll come back and talk about the out, the potential for stagflation or the potential for recession. And then how high are interest rates going to go? The 10-year broke 3% uh, this week. It looks like it's up there permanently. Um, we can talk about that. And how high is the Fed's target rate going to have to go? Anyway, we're talking to David Kotak of Cumberland Advisors, Michelle Girard of NatWest Markets, and I'm Larry Kudlow. We'll be right back. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. 
Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. I'm here talking stocks and the economy with Michelle Girard, Managing Director, Co-Head Global Economics, NatWest Markets, and David Kotak, Chairman and Chief uh, Investment Officer of Cumberland Advisors. Michelle, a couple things. Um, there's a lot of talk about recession. Let's start with that. Do you see any recession? I think the risks have gone up. I would say they're, they're you know, normally I think you always say there's, you know, 20, 20% or something. I mean, I think they're higher than that. It is in our base case, but I, I am watchful of it. Not so much this year as next year. And again, I just think it's, we, we do think inflation will be more persistent. I do think the Fed is going to have to raise rates more than, than people think. I, I don't think it's going to be a straight line. I think, you know, they'll move, they'll pause, they'll have to start, you know, start again. Uh, I, I, you know, I think right now the economy does have some underlying um, resilience. I, you know, I think the consumer still continues to, to be weathering the, the impact of higher food and energy prices in particular, uh, you know, well, but, but I just, I, I, I think we're going to lose, um, I think we're going to lose momentum because the Fed is going to have to, I, ultimately, I, I fear having waited so long, the only way that the Fed will be able to get inflation down to toward the 2% mark is to orchestrate, you know, a much sharper, uh, you know, turn down in demand. Mm. So the two-year uh, CPI break-evens, the TIPS break-evens, Closed at four fifteen. So yep. Michelle, uh, let's see, it was actually fell twenty one basis points, but it's four fifteen. So that would suggest if the Fed's going to conquer inflation, we're going to need a Fed funds rate in the next two years that will be I don't know above four fifteen. Call it five. I don't care. Whatever you want to call it. That's not in anybody's radar screen. No. It- no, it isn't. Um, at the moment, the market is pricing at a peak Fed funds rate of right around three and a quarter percent in the you know kind of the second quarter of next year. And so they do, you know, there is an expectation policy will move restrictive, but but ultimately that's you know I, I think that that isn't likely to to probably be sufficient. And in, in, you know, sort of given the expectations that we have as a as I said, inflation settling out this year, core inflation settling out this year, um, finishing this year around four percent, and at the end of next year, even with the you know with the funds rate getting up to that level, we have inflation uh, ending near at three percent. So I, I just think the Fed is going to end up having to do having to do more. And, but again, I don't think it'll be a one-way line. I actually think in the near term, mm. markets are going to get more concerned about this growth story, about a growth slowdown, uh, and the Fed may well, you know, end up having to, you know, to pause at some point and then and then restart. It won't be a straight line. But I just I just don't think when you look at the the end state that. I think people's expectations about what will probably be, be needed is too low, are too low. David Kotak, how does a stock market investor play this? You have to see the earnings. We're seeing them. And then it seems to me, Larry, you have to believe that the earnings growth rates will continue. And that's now in doubt for reasons Michelle just eloquently explained. My view is the fourth quarter of last year, the S&P 500 index delivered over $55 in earnings for the quarter. The original estimates before that quarter started to report were below 52. And as the earnings were delivered, market agents said, wait a minute, that's more than we expected. This first quarter, 
which is almost finished reporting, I think we have 80-some percent of the companies reported, is doing it again. We're probably 55, 56 S&P 500 earnings for the first quarter, and no one expected it. We have the earnings growth rate continuing. Hmm. We see the profit share. Now, there was a big threat long ago. You, you talked about it. Others talked about it, that we would have higher corporate taxes. We would raise the corporate tax rate. All those approaches in politics are non-starters. Hmm. And so we pencil out an earnings trajectory that will continue to grow. And if the earnings trajectory continues to grow, let's say 225 this year, 235 next year, and I'm using mild numbers, hmm. and Michelle's trajectory on interest rates is four. Mine is in the threes, but terminal rates somewhere around four. The stock market is a bargain here. Hmm. Everyone is scared. So when fear is driving the stock price, not the earnings momentum, stocks become very attractive. And well, we think that's an evolving situation. What about if you get, uh, say, the 10-year note finished at 312, so it's up 19 basis points this week. Um, if that thing goes to three and a half or four, put it in that range, uh, what happens to multiples, David Kotak? Well, it, it, so let's use four. Let's use the higher yeah. number yeah. and say, okay, at, what's the whole yield curve look like at that point in time? The 10-year is four. Let's put the short-term rate at three or three and a quarter, a relatively flat curve, but no inversion. And then you say, how would I calculate the equity risk premium on that outlook? And you would say, well, okay, I'll take 18, 19 times. That's not so bad. No, no. In a trajectory that is post double whammy, aggregate supply shock, aggregate a demand shock twice in a row in two years. That's Mich not a bad picture. Michelle Gerard, how high how high the tenure? Well, you know, actually, Larry, we think you may be getting close to to the top in the sense that it does feel like we keep saying peak hawkishness or concern about the Fed has been priced in. As I said, the market has priced in a lot of Fed tightening already, which is what has pushed us uh, across the curve to get yields uh, up above 3%. And so there's a high end terminal rate that's already been incorporated. And I do think that these growth concerns are going to mount. So, so there is, I think a likelihood that that we may actually be kind of near as high as we're going to get for the for the time being, and and see some, you know, a, a little bit like we saw after the you know after the meeting on Wednesday, some people willing to to begin to buy at these and nibble at these higher attractive levels over three percent again as people become concerned about the growth outlook. So I actually our, our view is actually over the near term at these levels. It might, you know, you might actually see yields move a bit lower, and then again, perhaps later in the year, um, you know, see a reversal. I guess the other thing I would I would mention 
thing, too, that I think is just worth pulling in. I do think if we think about globally the economic situation, I do think the other theme is a return to sort of U.S. exceptionalism. We may have issues. We may have growth concerns. But we are insulated to a much greater degree than, than the U.K., than Europe, in terms of the threats from the, you know, obviously the Ukraine invasion, in terms of China, which has got, you know, doubling down on its COVID strategy. There's a lot of concern about slower growth in China. You know, Europe and the U.K. are much more uh, vulnerable to those developments. So I do think on a relative basis, while risk assets here may be more challenged, I do think the U.S. is going to continue to look like a relatively attractive place. I think the dollar outlook is, is, is positive. I think it's just worth mentioning that as well. Well, you got to hope the cavalry is coming. <laughs> I mean, the cavalry, if the cavalry comes, you're, you're both, you know, you, you're gonna, we're going to be okay. But if these folks, if the Green New Deal wins and high taxes win, now the good part is uh, we saved America and killed the bill. Biden doesn't want to take no for an answer, but he doesn't have the votes to do it. So we're going to take this all the way to the election. So if the cavalry comes, taxes stay low. We won't get the regulatory relief, but I think you've got a shot at it. But I, I think you're both underestimating. I mean, I think Hanky's right. 6% inflation for the next two years. Okay? I'm going to give you the last word, David Cotone. 6% inflation for the next two years. There you go. Boom. I'll take I'll take the under the next time we visit together. We'll we'll celebrate history. Both of you be safe and careful. It's so nice to be back with both of you. That's great. The cavalry's coming. Six percent inflation. All good. Michelle Gerard, thank you. David Kotak, thank you. Stock market investors, good luck, kids. 